Matthew 16 and verses 1 to 3, exactly the same as we started last week. Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and tested him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the, mo- and, uh, and in the morning, it will be foul weather, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And then it, again in Matthew chapter 24, uh, it says, Now as he sat, and of course this, this is the great um, discourse on the um, prophecy that he sat down with his disciples and told them all what was going to happen in the future. And he's, this is what he said, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying tell us when will all these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age you know what I read because I read the two passages again this week because they are involved with what we are looking at because both sets or groups of people the scribes and the Pharisees and the disciples, they were all looking for signs. Signs. The signs of the times, says Jesus, and the signs of your coming. You know, I'm going to repeat a little bit of what I said last week because I know that uh, some people didn't quite uh, grasp uh, what, I, what I was saying. So I'm going to repeat a little, uh, just for you, for those of you that did you to think, you know, he's only repeating what he said last week. Now this is a little uh, praisey of what I what, what he said last week. You know, and um, the question I ask is, what should we as Christians be looking out for that would show us that the second coming of Christ is at hand? What are the signs of the times that should be sort of glaring for us? You know, once we know them, we'll be able to see them and you know when things unfold before us in the world and which they are doing every day you know and I'm going to be honest uh, I don't know if it's because I'm sort of into this study but I think that things are accelerating at a rate right now so what are the signs that would show us that Christ is at hand you see because God hasn't left us in the dark you know 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 4 says but you brethren talking to us as Christians are not in the dark so that this day should overtake you as a thief you know if a Christian is overtaken by the day because they didn't know they couldn't see the signs then you haven't read the word of God you haven't studied uh, this amazing topic of prophecy you are not in the dark he says so that this day would overtake you as a thief you know these things God has put in place to tip us off as to the time of his coming yes we don't know the exact day of course we don't you know because no one knows the exact day you know but the end of this study will still not know the exact day but we know the time when he is able to come. You know, we started using uh, last week the acrostic of 
sounds and um, I, I put sings of course if you remember but I have changed that this week I spelled it right and I put signs you know and if you remember last week I said that yes represents science you know and we saw uh, that God has warned us through Daniel that science and air travel uh, will increase and make the world a smaller place a smaller place and hurdle us back as a society to pre-bubble society that we will be one again and as Jesus said uh, as God said at that time nothing that they propose to do will be kept from them now I, don't, I know there are people here who are not fans of the two blonde men that are in charge of the US and the UK Trump and Boris and I see a lot of negative um, work I was over the Ripos this morning and there's somebody's painted their faces on one of the, uh, the, the buildings that are on the Ripos road but let me tell you this these two men are suffering in an identical way which alerts me to think well what's going on they are suffering in the identical way they are being accused of exactly the same things and they are being pulled over the coals for exactly the same things but these two men whether we like them or we don't makes no difference they are the flies in the ointment of globalization and the evil one does not want globalization to be halted he wants to take us back to pre-Babel times and there are two men that are very in very powerful positions who are trying to stop halt the um, sort of the run of globalization and therefore they become flies in the ointment and therefore they become targets for all sorts of problems and then we saw secondly last week that the eye represents Israel which I called the greatest prophetic sign of all you if ever you want to talk to people about the validity of the scriptures or if you want to talk to people about the validity of prophecy all you have to do is point to Israel because no one can explain Israel and, and outside of God's protection and God's um, desire for them Israel being in their land speaking their own language is impossible without God's work in that so we can say that yes Israel exists and in my opinion we could say therefore God exists Israel exists therefore God exists and this is the greatest prophetic sign that they are back in their land despite in spite of all the odds in spite of all the opposition they will remain there because never more will they be taken away from that place and Iran can shout as loud as it wants to and Iraq can shout as loud as it wants to and Hamas and Hezbollah can throw as many rockets in as they can and Russia can come down from the north if it wants to and China can come from the east if it wants to no one is shifting Israel from where they are 
Right? That's, and how do I know? Because that's what God said. I bring them back never to be taken out of there again. You want know, strangely enough? Whether we like it or not, these two people with blonde hair have recently both pledged their support for this position. Trump, of course, being the first president to take his embassy back into Jerusalem. And I don't know if, you were, if you've seen the video this week of Boris Johnson speaking on his commitment to Israel, especially you know, it's, the Israel, it's the Jewish New Year, uh, Rosh Hashanah, this week, and he has pledged the support of the British government against all sorts of anti-Semitism and any threat to that nation's existence. Now whether we like them or whether we don't, they are doing what God wants them to do in these situations. I'm not saying anything else. <laughs> now what I didn't say last week is that such a position is not appreciated throughout the world. You are in fact Jerusalem, the city of peace, as it is called, is anything but, and always has been, anything but. It's not a new thing. You know, since David set up his, his, uh, his throne in Zion, that place has been under attack. And it is still under attack even today. It is the most disputed piece of real estate in the world. But the thing is, whoever gets their hands on it, destroys themselves with it. And Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 3 says, And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all the peoples. And all who would heave it away will surely be cut to pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. You know, everything seems to hone in on the Jews, everything seems to hone in on the city of Jerusalem. And I, you know, and I know uh, that we here know that only the return of Christ will bring peace to Jerusalem. Nothing else. No, no uh, sort of pact, pact of, uh, of nations, no uh, treaties, no nothing. Not even the Labour Party is going to be able to bring peace to Jerusalem. You know, yes, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and what we are praying for is the return of Christ, because that's the only solution to the problem. He is the only one who can lift up this heavy stone and cast it to one side and make Jerusalem a city of peace. Again, now that's what we talked about last week. There were two signs. We talked of two signs. The sign of science and air travel, which is rife today and going on and on and on, and the sign of Israel being back in the land. And now, so now we've come to where we are this week. And the third letter this week in our acrostic for signs is the letter G. And G is for the gospel. The gospel. You know, and as I was sitting down thinking, I thought to myself, ah, the gospel, the gospel. Try to get as close to my father as, as I possibly could then. 
you had all the the sayings and the facial oh. <laughs> <laughs> the gospel the gospel how irrelevant is the gospel to our way of life in the 21st century what has it got to do with anything I hear you ask what has it got to do with our everyday life you know, we go here, we go there, we go there, we do this, we do that, we say this. What has it got to do with our everyday life? What has it got to do with all the breaking news that reaches the top of the program on news at 10? Do we, do we ever ever hear of gospel preached in Emmanuel Christian Fellowship tonight? No, we don't, we don't hear it at all. The news at 10 completely ignores the gospel. What has it got to do, especially when we preach it in Emmanuel? What has it got to do with our accelerated progress in technology? Our exploration of space? Not our exploration of our own bodies and things that are tiny, things that are big. What has it got to do with terrorism? What has it got to do with LGBT? Yeah, we've got to bring LGBT Otherwise we won't be politically correct. No, society has obviously moved on from the gospel. Yes, it used to be important. It used to be high profile. But now we've moved on. We don't want all that mumbo jumbo from the medieval times. We want to move on and take the world by the scruff of the neck, trust in our science, trust in our technology, and just get on with it. But the truth of the matter is the gospel is the key to our history whether we like it or whether we don't. The gospel is the ultimate detector of the progress that history is making. To forget that basically history is his story. That's what the word says. It's his story. And he, God, has set the gospel as the egg timer for history. You know, Jesus says in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, he says to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And there, in that little command that he gave to the disciples, and in the same way gave to us, lay the time scale of history itself and the key word all the world go into all the world and preach the gospel nobody was to go to Matthew's account of that great commission he, he says that Jesus says to the disciples start in Jerusalem make your way into Judea branch out into Samaria and then take it to the uttermost parts of the world the uttermost parts of the earth. So the gospel message is set to spread to every community on the globe. You know, and of course, if that didn't, isn't clear enough, we have Jesus telling us those very things. He gives us an outline of history. And this is what he says. He says, I'm turning the end timer over. Here we go, he says. We're on our way. And he says, and this gospel of the kingdom 
will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then and only then the end will come so one of the signs of the Lord's coming one of the signs of the end of the ages is actually the gospel message it has to reach to every corner of the world it has to reach to every tribe and tongue and nation and it's strange that David used those very words in his prayer tonight to tribe tongue and nation to bring the gospel to bear upon people you know even though man considers the gospel to be a non-entity and even though man has programmed it out of the public eye it is still taken away behind the scenes you know when I was in Israel this last time now 2014 I was very conscious of my phone because a couple of years before I'd gone to Tunisia and like a fool watched Wales playing Australia on my phone and I thought I'll never ever do that again <laughs> because the bill I had was an astronomical <laughs> so what I did I put a you know a, a sort of a, a safety thing on it that say 20 pounds safety thing, so that it wouldn't go over so I went in Israel and I was very concerned about my phone but I never used it. But somehow or other, that 20 pound got used every night. Because I didn't know when my phone was working when I was sleeping. It was roaming. I got no idea what roaming means. And I was looking for a switch to knock roaming off, but I couldn't find it. And that's what's happening today. Behind the scenes, there's something taken away. That egg timer is filling up the bottom glass with sand. And it's the gospel. And whether men like it or not, whether they put it out of their minds or not, program it out of society or not, it's still spreading. It's still going here and it's still going there. Further and further and further. Bringing the end of time closer and closer. I was listening to a man preaching the other day. And he'd been a pastor all of his life and he was quite an elderly man and um, well he was in his late early 70s I would say sorry Bob <laughs> sorry <laughs> anyway and um, <laughs> you, <laughs> sorry Paul <laughs> so there he was he was preaching away and he said this, he said, I've been preaching all my life. I preached here, I preached there, I preached there everywhere. But what he was doing, he was preaching on Jimmy Swaggart's pulpit. And he says, tonight, I've reached more people with one sermon than I've reached with all my sermons put together throughout my life. No, and that's absolutely incredible because through television, through radio, through the internet, and through Facebook, Jimmy Swaggart has the potential to reach billions of people 
in one go. Billions of people. And that potential is now here. Now, that's a modern phenomenon. This couldn't have happened a mere 20 years ago. You couldn't have reached society like they do 20 years ago. But now, every home on the planet is able to receive the message of the gospel. Listen to that, what um, I read in Revelations 14. And see, I'd like you to see if you can see anything wrong with this verse. Revelations 14 and verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. Now I haven't quoted it wrong. This is exactly what's found in the New King James Version. But can anyone see what's wrong with that verse? No, nobody. Do you know that? Fear God's glory? No. You're touching his straws ever. Hmm? What, what about the angel? It's not his, his job to preach the gospel. Yeah. In a Bible call, you see. <laughs> the angels have never, ever been commissioned to preach the gospel. Never. Never. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us. We are the preachers of the gospel. The angels? No. They've never been commissioned to preach the, the message of the gospel. This message has been committed to us. Paul calls it the word of reconciliation. It's been committed to human beings. We preach the gospel, not the angels. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 11 says, Paul talks again, he says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. To my trust. This is our mandate, not the angels. I tell you why. They know nothing about the gospel. They know nothing about the grace of God. And Peter confirms all this when he says, To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. They are looking from the outside. They have no idea what it means to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And if they don't know what it means, then they cannot preach it. They cannot preach it. They have no understanding of it, no experience of the gospel. This work is committed to those who have experienced God and His grace for themselves. 
So then, has John made a mistake? What is the angel that is flying in the heavens? Well, what if I said, if I said that the word angel is also translated messenger? That's what the actual word means. It's the Greek word angelos, and of course it's been shortened, uh, sort of, what's the word, uh, transliterated as angel. But the actual word means to be a messenger. Um, it's flying through the heavens. So let's call it a winged messenger. Now what if I showed you this, or this? Remember when John wrote the book of Revelations? He was seeing a world that was 2,000 years after his time. And he was sitting down thinking, how can I describe that? And would you call it a winged messenger? It looks like a bird. It looks like an angel. And yet John would have seen that from that very thing, I, I'm looking this way because I can see it in the window. I could, have, I could go like that, but from that very thing comes the message of the gospel beamed into every home on the planet that can, that can receive it, of course, at this point in time. It's a satellite. You know, and you don't... You know, John couldn't have said, I've seen a satellite going over. <laughs> you know, never, nobody'd ever been no more than 30 foot up in the air, as far as they're concerned. But here is a satellite flying in there. I think it's there about 30 or so miles up. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's right. But there it is. And if you can remember, when satellites first came out, there was one or two. You know, and the BBC would say, we've got a satellite uh, broadcast tonight at 9 o'clock. And we've got to be quick, because by 5 past it will be gone. <laughs> so, you know, and that's only going back 20, 25, 30 years. When, when it, as soon as it just passed over where you were, it's gone. But now, it is perpetual. Every second of every day, you know, we can get in our cars, we can sit on our sat-nav, and I don't know about the fellow in the lorry, because there's a picture of a fellow in the river, but it's what the satellite, sat-nav, yeah, so sometimes it goes wrong. But wherever you are, whatever time of day, whatever place in the world, you can beam up, and you can take a message from you, anywhere on the planet. You know, and, and I, I know I'm going on about Timmy Swaggart, and you know, I'm just saying that his, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not advertising for him at all. What's that? It's easy, that. <laughs> but he can, he can preach the year, and everybody in the world has a capacity to listen to what he's going to say. Because he's on the internet, he's on Facebook, he's on the radio, and he's on TV. You know, and uh, that couldn't have happened before. Now, I'm not saying that that is the actual uh, water column, but, uh, but doesn't it? What I say last week, isn't it a coincidence? Isn't it a coincidence? You know, and uh, it sort of adds a little bit to David's Psalm, Psalm 19, if you remember. The heavens declare the glory of God. 
on the film and shows his handiwork. Day unto day, at his speech and night unto night, reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. You know, and that is exactly what is happening today. Now, I know that that psalm is dealing with God's handiwork in creation. But satellites are carrying the message to the most remote parts of the world as we speak. You know that China uh, as probably the most atheistic, anti-Christian, oppressive regime in the world. And yet I read this week that very soon China will become the most Christian country in the world. I know, I know a percentage of people in China uh, will, will boost everything because there's absolutely billions of them uh, running about. But uh, they become the most Christian country in the world. And yet no one is allowed in to preach. No one is allowed to preach. So how does the gospel get there? How does it happen? Well, the gospel knows no boundaries and respects no borders especially when you can beam it from above no one can stop that taking place so that's the gospel the gospel being preached to every creature is the uh, egg timer of history let me come to N very quickly with the shift N is for nation nations I wonder if you agree with me when, you, when I read this one little sentence and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity the sea and the waves are roaring, roaring men's hearts failing them for fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity. When you talk about the sea, that talks about the massive humanity. You know, and uh, it is roaring. You know, when you see the sea, when you go down to put that to put call and see the waves coming over the lake, like that is absolutely incredible. But can you imagine that being a, a sea of people roaring, roaring, agitated, and that's exactly. What the world, what's happening in the world. When you look out onto this world, you see a world that is falling apart at the seams and yet is coming together to seek for a solution. It's a funny thing, isn't it? It's falling apart at the seams, you can see it, and yet it is coming together to seek a solution. Now we have a, quite a number of things. I've only mentioned uh, a couple of them. We've had the League of Nations that have come together to solve the problem. We've had the United Nations, or we still got the United Nations that have come together to solve the problem. Of course, uh, you, us in the West, we've got NATO that have always been uh, gathered to, to solve the problem of Russia and communism. And of course, today, we've got the European Union which solves the problem of just trying to think of that one day. Um, very political, didn't 
You know, it's always been this desire to come together, whether by force. Of course, there are people who think, well, if I if I rise high enough and get a big enough army, I can get the whole world together and we can solve all the problems, and I can be the boss. So it's either by force, or of course, as we see with the European uh, Union, it's by union. Let's get together and pool our resources and try to solve the problem of poverty and uh, AIDS and climate change and all those things. Because you see, we've got so many crises um, going on in the world today. No, so that more and more of the world is living in the same pocket. We're all out to try and solve the problem of climate change. Now Emma Thompson, I don't know if you know Emma Thompson, Nan McPhee, she said, um, you know, if you can remember when uh, the, uh, the climate change march was up in London, she flew halfway around the world to get there to complain about people flying. And she said in the paper today, she said, I fly all over the world for my job. And yet I don't think these, she used the word pleb, I don't know if that's a naughty word or not, these plebs who go to Spain on an end party are spoiling the climate. I can fly all around the world because I'm working. But they mustn't fly around the world because they are not me. And then she said at the bottom, I might be a little bit hypocritical. I thought, no, you're a lot hypocritical. I don't know why I said that then. Oh, of course, global warming. You know, that's one of the, the crises today. We've got global warming and climate change. We've got to get together. We've got to get together to sort all this out. We've got the Middle East. We've got to get together to sort all this out. We've got the refugee problem. We've got the third world with its object poverty. We've got AIDS. And all this, we need to get together to sort all these things out. That's what we've got to do. That's what we've got to do. Get together and sort all these things. I was thinking about that um, as I was coming down tonight. You know, we've got, um, there's a verse in the scripture that says, don't be unequally yoked together. You know, and immediately the Christian church thinks marriage. Marriage. So we say, you don't do marry so-and-so, don't marry so-and-so. And we point the finger at people and we say, you shouldn't be doing that, and you should. But when you look at Corinthians, Paul deals with marriage in 1 Corinthians, never talks about it again. But that verse is found in Corinthians. That's got nothing at all to do with marriage at all. Why we say it, I don't know. But it's very easy to put a burden on somebody as easy as that. What it means, in my opinion, is what we see in today. You know, I've seen a picture of the Pope this week walking around with a Muslim. We've got to get together to sort out the problem. You know, whenever the Christian church joins with another group of people to sort out the problem that lay in front of them a couple of years ago, it was make poverty history. Then we have this crisis. So the church gets together with Muslims and Jews and Catholics <coughs> and things. What gets left behind or who gets left behind? Jesus gets left behind every day. Because we've got to tone down our evangelicalism to, to be able to speak 
with other people. And I believe that's what that verse actually means. People getting together, the church getting together to work towards solving a problem. We need to get together to sort things out. Now this, there's an amazing prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, the sort of, which sort of outlines the role of the nations in the run-up to the founding of the state of Israel. Isaiah chapter 11 verses 12 and 13 says, God will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Also the envy of Ephraim will depart and the adversities of Judah will be cut off and Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Well, that's very important. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But I'll explain what I'm going to say now. So what is this prophecy about? It's about the regathering of the Jews to Israel. It's about this greatest of prophetic signs. You know, and um, it talks about not just the Jews going back, but Israel as well. Can you remember I said a couple of weeks ago that in after Solomon, Israel split up into Judah and Beth Benjamin and the other ten tribes and they never got on after that. They never got on. Israel went into Assyria in, in captivity and Judah went to Babylon. And the ten tribes have never been heard of since. But Judah have always have been referred to as the Jews. And when you read this passage of scripture, you'll see that all the tribes have come back together. And in Israel today, all the tribes of Israel are represented. And it's just, see what it says, it's great. Judah shall not harass Ephraim, and Ephraim shall not envy Judah. So we're talking about now. This has never happened before, but it's happening now. It's set during the regathering of the Jews. And so we have a united Israel for the first time since King Solomon. That's quite a number of years. And it's happening in our time. You've got to get excited about this because it's happening in our time. This, this could have happened a hundred years ago. It could have happened in a hundred years' time, but it's not. It's happening today. The first time since Solomon has Israel been one. Ten, twelve tribes together as one in the Middle East. But look, I want you to notice in this passage who makes this happen. And the, uh, the people who make this happen are the nations. Plural. The nations. Now what are the nations? Let me say in 1947, when Britain was in charge of the Middle East, they had the mandate to run the Middle East. They prevented the Jews from returning. Now I know I said a couple of weeks ago that Lord Balfour made a declaration in 1917 to say that this is going to be the Jews' homeland. But we go on 30 years and the same government of Britain prevents the Jews from returning. So this might surprise you. The United Nations told Britain to clear off to get out of there 
and they organize the regathering of the Jews to their own country. They signed a document in 1947 that made the state of Israel law. That's a surprise. Because today, they wouldn't do it today. Oh no, the, the United Nations would not sign a form. They wouldn't sign a form to give them a, a packet of custard greens. I must be honest with you today. But then, they signed this form to say, Israel, this is your state. Go there and populate it. Now notice in this part of the scripture, there are two flags. One that represents the UN, and one of course that represents Israel. He will set up a banner for the nations. Now this refers to the unmistakable flag of the UN, which of course is, a, is, the, is the countries of the world enveloped with olive branches. Peace. You know, and that's, uh, that's, it was under this flag that Israel returned to their land. But of course there's another flag, and that is the flag of Israel. Now, if we go back to verse 10 of this passage of scripture, it says there, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. Now who's the root, who is this root of Jesse? Well of course, out of the root of Jesse comes David. Now I know that this is ultimately Jesus, of course, but David has a big say in being the root of David. He's called the son of David. And what is the Israeli flag? The star of David. So they come into the land under the flag of the United Nations and they set up their nation under the root of David. You know, but as the nations were responsible for setting up the state of Israel, they are now the same United Nations are now responsible for trying to destroy it. Now if you were to go into the, the UN today, every day a resolution, some resolution or other, is passed before the UN Council that legislates against the Jews. And of course, you know, we will see as we go along in our studies that the European Union joined with Babylon, which is Iraq, joined with Persia, which is Iran, and joined with Greece, which incidentally are the four um, kingdoms of, the, of, the, of the, uh, the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw, the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans, when, when the Romans, of course, would be represented by Europe, Greece would be Macedonia and all around there, Iran, is Persia, Iraq is Babylon, they will come as a confederate of nations in order to destroy Israel. So we can see that the nations are very, very important. And not only that, we can see it happening. You know, there's never a week goes by when you don't get a fellow with a big beard and a turban telling us that Israel is for it. 
We're going to rush them off into the sea. You know, we're going to destroy them, we're going to burn them away and rid the world, not just Israel, but the world of the Jews. Now, that's the nation. Then lastly, very quickly, because um, I, was, uh, I was almost 30 minutes, actually, I don't want to do that this week. <laughs> S. S is for the last one, last S is for society. Now, I, I don't think we're going to spend a long time here. Uh, listen to what we are to expect and see if you can see any of it happening in the world today. But know this, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 6. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, brutal, despite brutal, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. Now I really don't think that I need to go into any detail because I can see myself that society has reached this foreboding tipping point. And there is no way back. You know, it has found evolution. It has found in evolution a way to ridicule Christianity and the Bible that it stands on. It has, through human rights, found a way to descend into the filthiest practices which have become normal and, yes, even sacrosanct in our society so that we have no voice against the relentless move to immorality which um, with some prominent MPs calling for the age of sexual consent to drop to an alarming 10 years old. We have, through women's rights, found a way to legitimately kill the fruit of our wombs, or the womb that our was and we have, through the fear of terrorism, found a way to guard the message of truth that is found in the Bible. You know, we could go on and on describing the state of society, but I think that will suffice us uh, for tonight. All in all, these last two Thursdays have more than adequately told us that the Lord is coming soon. The Lord is coming soon. The signs of the times are pointing to it. As we look at science with its amazing strides towards forwards, then we are in uh, 
Sam? Israel. Israel, yes. We look at science first, which is with its amazing strides forward. Then we are in the place where nothing that they set their minds to will be withheld from them. And as I said, we've entered the pre-Babel world <clears throat> once again. Israel, we look at Israel, and we can see that now Christ can stand on the Mount of Olives and be greeted by those who pierced him. That couldn't have happened 80 years ago. It can happen now. And when he stands on the Mount of Olives, his own people will see him of whom they pierced and mourn for him as their only son. That can happen now. They rejected him, they pierced him, and he's coming back to change them. As we look at the gospel, uh, we can definitely say that in our generation, the gospel will have reached the uttermost part of the world and everyone will know about Jesus and his sacrifice for our sins. And we could look at the nations and see that some invisible force is inextricably and irresistibly drawing them together against the chosen people of God and the redeemed people of God. And we could look at society and say yes the days of Noah have arrived the days of Noah have arrived but to send us all um, happy Jesus said this now when you see these things begin to happen look up lift up your heads because your redemption draws so we've looked very briefly briefly at the signs of the times and we can safely say that they are vivid and unambiguous so praise the Lord for that we won't be in the dark and overtaken by a thief like a thief in the night if we adhere to Christ's warning check the signs check the signs what is his name say?